And again, I would go back to, you know, there are conservative news outlets who are creating irresponsible content. Democrats are set to take control of the U.S. Senate, House, and the White House. This will go down as one of the most progressive administrations in American history. God willing, everything is on the table. You now can pass things without a filibuster threat. Oh, you'll regret this, and you may regret it a lot sooner than you think. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Ladies well, and gentlemen, welcome to Ruthless. Welcome to a special Wednesday episode of the Variety Program. Are you guys ready to produce some irresponsible content? That's what we're here for. <laughs> that, folks, that was White House comms director Kate Bedingfield saying, there are conservative news outlets who are creating irresponsible content. <laughs> and by irresponsible content, they mean things we don't want on the internet. That's right. That's, that's basically it. They're that's- like, you can only have what we approve on the internet. They're already like, we will flag things for Facebook if you say things that we don't like. <laughs> Incredible, these people. Yeah, if you, in case you, you missed yesterday's episode, these people are authoritarian psychopaths <laughs> who want to control everything on the internet. And, 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 and if you want a deeper dive, listen to yesterday's episode. We do think it's really important. And, you know, we're going to do more deep dive episodes here on the variety program, give you more variety. Um, just something I wanted to flag for for the which future. is which is part it's responsible content, which you know we don't just do we do irresponsible too. And I have to say I was I was really happy seeing the feedback from folks being like I appreciate you guys doing the deep dive into it because this is a huge huge issue. Yeah, we're like not the done. Dems are a hundred percent trying to just like complete control of the message from schools through universities through the media, and they don't want any anyone having any sort of a different opinion than them. Well, that's, so, that's the way that they can enforce their crazy ideas. So there's the surface-level argument on a lot of this stuff, right? And then there's always a shadow game being played. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, I hope listeners of the Variety Program get some of that value from, from the fact that we've, you know, we've worked in this industry and can help you read between the lines. I mean, we're not always going to be right about everything, but hopefully our perspective is helpful. I think we're going to be right about it. Yeah, I think everything. I think we're always right. I think. <laughs> well, we're right about a bunch of stuff, and you know that Cuba's also been important to us, so we have Congresswoman Maria Elvira Salazar on the program today. Let's go. She's, um, she's not only really passionate about Cuba, she has the rare pathway of going from journalism to Republican politics. So it's like, you know, her and Foldy, basically, are the only ones. Holding the line. <laughs> and she has some really hot takes on journalism, she right? She does. She does. It's great. It's a good interview. I think everybody's going to like it. Um, so uh, the other thing is we're now 28, 28 days, I think, away from Iowa. I can't believe it. Uh, uh, so that's like, that's like straight up four weeks. Listen, man, are you ready? I am beyond ready. I Like... I'm getting so many text messages from folks on the ground in Iowa who are like, you guys get ready. Let's go. It's going to be a good time. Every, like everyone in Des Moines, like everyone across that state has been texting me like, when you get here, get ready. It's going to be something else. Yeah. Like I've basically been building my entire life for this moment. It's going to be so awesome. This like, is it. The, the <laughs> fair is where it happens. They got the butter cow. It's like the first, it's like the unofficial first stop if you're running for president. You show up at this fair. The fair is honestly, it's a who's who. 
And everyone listening, you got to be there. You absolutely got to be there. Let me just ask you just a logistical question. If you walk in there, you know, we're having a good time. Everybody's loving uh, the variety program. And all of a sudden, a horse takes a look at you the wrong way. What happens? I'm clocking the horse. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that's... Is it, a horse? is it just the horse? Because, you know, we talked about we're going to try to eat every animal. Yeah. Not, clearly not the live ones, but I don't, I mean. Hell, if the horse wants it, he'll get cooked too. <laughs> Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> so you got to come for that, if nothing else. <laughs> if we keep talking about this thing, we're going to get banned before we even show up. <laughs> Smug's trying to get us banned. <laughs> All right, let's tick through a couple of little items here. The first is Bezos. Did he go to space? Did he not go to space? Smug. He didn't go to space. This was fake space. <laughs> Come on. No, it's great. The best is so uh, the interviews that with with the folks that went up with Bezos, they had after they got back, you know, to Earth, and the like lady astronaut who has like a lot of experience and knows what she's talking about. Uh, I think she was like at NASA for a number of years. Uh, they were asking her all these questions of what it was like. She was, she said, when when I was going up there, when I got up there, I was thinking, you know, I'd look out the window and I'd get to see, you know, like all of Earth, the curve of Earth, but you couldn't because we weren't high enough. Oh! I was like, whoa, burn. He he took her up on a rocket to fake space and she called him out. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think the backstory there is that she's the oldest. Yeah, she's she's now the oldest. And she was human. supposed to go, and so it's basically a feel good story. Um, but but actually, <laughs> Bezos went higher, correct? Than than uh, Branson did, but right. it's still fake space. And, and Smug's calling space. bullshit on the whole thing. He's saying yeah. you're not in orbit, you're not in space. It's beyond orbit. You got to be in real space. Like real space is if you. The definition of real space is if you can float around without because you're falling so fast. Right, so, like so, Apollo 13, they did that on a jumbo jet. That's fake space. So 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 <laughs> Smug's takes here have 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 gotten a lot of attention. From people, yeah. People uh, I got upset. a I got a DM today from Tanner, who says, "I don't know why Smug is struggling with this, but what? Whenever people in the ISS feel zero g, it's also because they are falling. When you are in orbit, you are in a constant state of falling, but because you are so far from Earth, you just stay in orbit." Elon explained it pretty well last time he was on Rogan. Tell Smug to learn up and listen to Rogan. Also, wasn't wasn't learn up? Wait, wasn't uh, it's an attack on you? Wasn't Elon <laughs> smoking reefer when he was on Rogan? We're gonna listen to some stone dude's idea of what space is. <laughs> I'll tell you what space is when you're out there and it's all black and I'll, you're floating. I'll tell you what space is. It's all black for starters. Bingo. It's all black. And there's no gravity. Like, it, everyone knows this. We've known this since we were kids. You it, know, they'd be like, when you're out in space, there's no gravity. Oh, wow. And, and if, if you stick your they, hand they didn't out. tell you space is like when you're shooting Apollo 13 and they make the plane go up and down so it looks like you're floating. That's not space. That's so you're saying space. unless they clear the orbit, they the gravitational be, pull of Earth that I mean, it's pulls like, them back into orbit. It's like such a simple proposition. You're either in space or you're not. Like, are you in space? You'd know if you're in space. Space is out there. Space is not this like, oh, you know, I can still see the clouds and shit. No, that's not space. A fully smugged definition of space. <laughs> it's somehow like really based. It's like, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, somehow that's now the conservative definition. I of guess space. this is what we got to do. If you want to go to space, you go to space. Like imagine paying how much, like how much did the kid? There's some kid from like Scandinavia whose dad owns a private equity firm and he also bought his ticket on there. He was one of oh, the Oh yeah, four. I saw that. Yeah. And, and like how much did he pay? 
for like a glamorous plane ticket that's like a 10 minute flight. Well, like, I got wow. So, so here's a here's a question. At the level of space that they were at, if you just like stuck your hand out, would it disintegrate? I mean, because that's my definition he, of space, it, right? I mean, yes. It, I'm not disintegrate, but but it, there is n- next to zero atmosphere. It is so incredibly cold. Your your hand would wouldn't work. But, I, I I think U.S. spy planes fly high enough that if you stuck your hand out, it would instantly right. turn to ice. And you're, but right. that's still Earth. All right. So so because you see the space movies and like you know something happens with the helmet and the head just oh, sort of oh, like yeah. turns into real a space will mess you up. Yeah. So, yeah. but but is that a, is that in their space too? Nah, it probably just freeze, dude. Freeze, yeah. I mean, your hand's worthless. So not not a tomato. Nope. I think that's not a good space. definition. Oh, you, yeah. you're, you're, you're saying the rapid depressurization yeah. of your body. That's space. See, that's a definition I can live with. I don't know, man. I'm not an expert. Well, but I know a lot of people are mad at you, which I think you enjoy. So, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. What do we got next? Okay. Wait. Wait. wait well, I actually forgot to mention this because I thought this was the most hilarious thing ever. Is after after Bezos did his his space flight. This is a direct quote. This is from the New York Times. <laughs> quote: I also want to thank every Amazon employee and every Amazon customer because you guys pay for all this. <laughs> <laughs> Dude's really spiking the football. What an amazing line! Wait a minute, are you? That's a real. That's quote? a real quote right here, New York Times. He was like, "Thanks for buying Amazon. You paid for all this. Meet me to do a little space tourism." Amazing. <laughs> well, it's not the only thing that Jeff Bezos pays for. You know, he owns the the Washington Post. Uh, Doctor Dr. Richard Harambe. Oh, one of my faves. Great content. Uh, follow him on Twitter. Put up a poll. Uh, bigger waste of money for Jeff Bezos. <laughs> uh, three minute space trip, or Jen Rubin's paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a no brainer. Amazing. That's a no brainer. Uh, Right now, it's 97% Jen Rubin's paycheck. <laughs> and the best part is it's probably like, you know, I don't know what they pay her. I mean, what do you think they pay her? A couple hundred grand? Yeah. Too much. Whatever it is, it's way too much. But if they pay her a couple hundred grand, I mean, that's like up. He probably spent a billion dollars getting to space, and it, it's still more of a waste of money. There was, someone posted this stat that, like, uh, during the three minutes or whatever, where where he's up there in the air, he'll make like one point two million dollars. <laughs> Incredible. Oh uh, well, back here on Earth, our children, according to the Wall Street Journal, are having a. Uh, a bit of a nationalism identity crisis, thanks to Peppa Pig. Huge problem. Huge problem. Uh, I don't know if you all have seen this. For those of you without kids, uh, how do you explain Peppa? Peppa Pig, is a, there's a family of pigs. They're, they're, the kids love them. But they're British, right? <laughs> oh, that's the music. <laughs> is, that's the, is that the Peppa Pig music? Yeah. Okay. And, and like... I don't know. I had my, my kids were watching um, like Paw Patrol or something on Nickelodeon. See, that's a good show for kids to watch. Yeah, it's a great show. So I was totally into that. And all of a sudden it switched off and Peppa Pig comes on. And it's like, oh, hey, hello, Papa. I'm Peppa Pig. And I was like, what the hell is this? Right. But apparently this is a larger problem. They've got children across the country, America, that are beginning to act British. Because of this show, because of their consumption of this show. Like an accent, a British accent. Yeah, British accent. 
My God. I mean, there's probably more to it than just the accent. Who's ready for my hot take? Oh, God. What is it? Do you, do you know why parents like Peppa Pig? <laughs> why? Because this generation of parents doesn't want to parent. They want to put their kid in front of a TV or hand him an iPad and be like, you raised my kid. <laughs> In fairness, I think Gen X took care of that. That like that's basically isn't that the knock on Gen X is that they're latchkey kids that they just put in front of the television. They raise themselves. Like back in my day, you know, parents would have to like actually be involved. Like your dad's got to take you out in the backyard. You throw the football. Now it's like nope. It's been a long day, kid. Here's an iPad. Watch something. Well, as a parent, the kid comes out it's like, oh hey, hello, mama. Exactly. What's going on? But look, exactly. Look, look, I mean, smug. It's kind of an easy take for you to make. You know, because like you didn't have to raise kids during the middle of a pandemic. That's right. Which I think is what's going on here. There was no rule that like you can't go hang out, you could take your kid to the park, throw a football. <laughs> while while I mean, you're working, while you're working from home. Come on, parents. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hello, mama. I'm going to act and scream in the middle of dinner. <laughs> <laughs> I love this soundboard. It's really brought the show to the next level. <laughs> There's a there's a quote in this story I absolutely love, and I'll just read it. Uh, California kindergartner uh, Danny stunned her parents in May when she addressed her mom, who said she was going to the eye doctor in a polished British accent. Mommy, are you going to the obstetrician? <laughs> Amazing. Really? Oh, well, that's no. not a downside, honestly. Well, I feel like that actually smug. You have a little bit of this going on. I mean, I just I correctly pronounce things. Laboratory and such. That's how. That's peloton. How I peloton. peloton. <laughs> oh wait, wait, is that uh, 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 cicada? Cicada. He didn't say cicada. He said cicada. That's how it's pronounced. It's cicada. <laughs> oh hello, mama. You don't need to pay attention to me. You just put me in front of the telly. <laughs> the telly. <laughs> anyway, all right. Well, um, let's get into the meat of the program. Okay. As they say. Yeah, we have so much good content today. I it's going to be a dunkathon, man. The TikTok Texans, man. You can't. We called it early. We put a special episode together because we saw this coming, right? Yeah. You put st- state legislators in control of your messaging. You let them go. You set them loose. They're not, you know, they don't seem to be with significant others. They're traveling as a pack. Sure enough, like one disaster after another, they get COVID. But now it appears as though they're literally super spreading COVID throughout the entire Democratic delegation in Washington, D.C. It's a legit super spreader. So they showed up. They, they took their, you know, the TikTok Texans went. They posted their photos of eating salad in, in the Longworth, you know, cafeteria. And what do you know? While they're there, they exposed every Dem in Washington to, to, to COVID. Five of them first show up as <laughs> having COVID. Then the number's up to seven. And then you find out, uh, who was it? It was, was a, a Pelosi staffer. And a White House staffer. And a White House staffer. I mean, this is a legit super spreading event. And, and like, again, just to rewind the tape on all of this, nobody, like, no precautions being taken. Nope. Right? These nope. people flying to town maskless, of course, like, breaking they're, all they're of the They're on their private rules. jet with their, with their Miller Lite case flying, you know, Delta variant. Comfort, Comfort plus. plus, no masks, just 
full of disease and spreading it everywhere. Th- this truly is, you know, they, they are the heroes that Beto O'Rourke said. <laughs> this was absolutely like crossing the Delaware with, with George Washington. They're, they're saving democracy by infecting everyone with a Delta variant. So, but it's unclear to me who's taking themselves off the field here, right? Because that's what Republicans had to do when they were exposed Everybody had to leave the lawmaking body and spend time quarantining and doing. Dude, the, the media did straight up diagrams of events at the Trump White House. I being remember. like, yeah, where the people were, who, who might have been exposed. That's and, right. You know, highlighting people and drawing circles. And now we're just like, all right, no, nah, it's cool. Nah, it's cool. So much so, so much so that Ed O'Keefe today uh, for CBS News has to confront Saki at the White House podium about this whole episode because you know like usually during the trump white house at least when somebody was infected with covid you heard about it It had to be disclosed right right and they were you know often work it was a big news story here they haven't disclosed any of this they learned from the tiktok texans essentially and speaker pelosi's office that they have a problem so i think we have audio of ed o'keefe uh, Smasherton, no. This breakthrough case here mm-hmm. at the White House. Yeah. Confirmed today there's been a breakthrough case. Yep. But you're also confirming there have been other breakthrough cases. Yep. But you had not previously disclosed that there had been. And that's correct. I mean, yep, yep, yep. So, so everyone's catching COVID. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, these dams are basically infecting everyone. Yep. Uh, so Kamala just had a u- standard usual Sunday doctor's appointment. Yep. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. I mean, this is incredible. (laughs) I mean, congratulations for Ed O'Keefe, man. I thought Doocy was the only person in that room doing their job. Ed O'Keefe just showed up. Are you going to spend trillions of dollars and ruin everybody's economy and make sure that they can't afford a a gallon of milk? Yep. 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 It's incredible. Yep. Yep. They're like, yeah, we're not going to disclose that the White House is, is, is a super spreader at this point. I remember Time Magazine. Time Magazine had a cover where they had like the White House and then just like these yeah. red COVID disease with the things flying <laughs> everywhere. You're not going to see that this time. You're not going to see that this time. They're still here. Yeah. Th- the TikTok Texans are still here. Nobody's packed them up and sent them home. Well, it's, just, it's the exact same thing when there were all the BLM protests last summer. Oh, as yeah. you recall. You can't catch COVID like, if you're you, rioting. Right. As long as, as, as COVID knows that you're a liberal... Uh, you can't. You're, you're immune. You can That's, protest all you want. You won't get COVID. You're, you'll, you'll, you can have like a fiery but mostly disease-free riot where you just burn down buildings, and you don't even need a mask. And it's really pretty sophisticated disease because not only can it circumnavigate your ideology, it can actually look through the tape and see like you know is voter ID kind of a controversial issue, but it's also racist. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right? It's amazing. So I'm gonna hit the racist thing. These people. They're going to be infected. Other people, not so much. Hold on. Racist. <laughs> exactly. That's the button they hit. Yeah. That's what COVID does. When, co- right. when COVID's thinking about infecting. But COVID's very woke. Yeah. yeah. It's when, a woke disease. It's a woke disease. When it's, when it's concerned about what populations <laughs> it affects, it analyzes it and then it hits. Racist. Exactly. 100%. And then it decides who it infect. <laughs> I mean, so Holmes, you brought up a really, really good point is uh, what's going to happen to the Dems in Congress who have to, like, present all these bills? They're trying to get things passed. They have a big vote tomorrow. Today, as we're listening to this, there's a big all 50 Dems will be there in the Senate, I guarantee. That's the thing. And and, and these people were like, oh, man, like 
by the third degree of anyone who's been exposed to COVID on the Republican side, they cannot safely enter this chamber. They're all going to be there. They'll all they be there. They don't care about this. They fly without masks. If they needed Kamala for a tiebreaker, she'd be there. Of course she would. Right. Nobody's even suggesting that they're taking time. In fact, what Ed's talking about is just the fact that they've apparently had a bunch of COVID cases that nobody's even known about until today. Yeah, they're like, oh, we're not going to tell the public about this. Next question. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. Okay. Um, I know we want to get to a bunch of stuff. There, There is... Uh, let's talk about the eco-terrorist. The, folks, there's a nominee who's an eco-terrorist. That's the, no joke. The Biden administration... Yeah, this isn't like... Being, you know, out there. there. There's a Biden nominee who's an eco-terrorist. Tracy Stone Manning is President Biden's nominee to lead the Bureau of Land Management. Uh, if confirmed, Stone Manning would run an agency tasked with managing 245 million acres of public land, 700 million acres of subsurface mineral estate, according to BLM. Here's the problem. She's a terrorist. <laughs> that's a tough. That's that's tough. Yeah, basically, she was affiliated with one of these lunatic left-wing eco-terrorism groups that would spike trees. Right. They would spike trees, and, and what that means for our listeners is that <clears throat> basically they would drive these spikes into uh, trees that were going to be cut down, and the idea is basically that you you know you. You, you spike these trees and then you threaten the people who are logging that forest that if they go in there and they cut down those trees, they might get killed. They might right. get maimed. The, they might die. The intent is for, for, you know, some guy who's trying to make an honest living. Yeah. They're there to cut down a tree for some lumber and that they hit this spike and they get shrapnel. Well, it's like right. the, it's like it's a it's akin to like the Unabomber. And it's actually sort of in the same time frame that we're talking about, late 80s. Right. Where it's like these single acts of terrorism where you let somebody know, like, if you take these trees down, you'll be killed. I mean, right. this is basically right. just like, you know, a hippie Greenpeace IED. Yeah, well, that's right. what this is. But here's the effect, right? So the effect is that they had spikes measuring 8 to 10 inches in length jammed into trees in the Idaho forest. And in... May 8th, 1987, George Alexander, a mill worker, was severely injured when a blade shattered after it came into contact with one of these tree spikes and it cut his jaw in half. Jesus. Why it's, are we talking? Why why are we talking about like there's still a question about whether this person's going to be confirmed? There, this insane. is something we need every ruthless listener to pay attention to because the media hasn't been touching this. They don't want to talk about this. No, the only thing the only thing that I saw about it was when McConnell sent out a statement urging Biden to withdraw the nominee. And I was like, wait, I didn't I haven't been paying attention. So I read and I was like, oh my God. Dude, she was like a spokesman for this organization. She's the one who sent this letter. Uh there was an anonymous letter to the US Forest Service saying, Hey, we spiked all these trees. If you go in there, people will die. So she's basically she's the, the spokesman. Right. Right, for this lunatic group. You know, so we essentially, we, well, we completely are responsible for destroying Neera Tandon's nomination. I think, you know, the Minions were instrumental in bringing attention to that. Yeah, this, that is, this is worth... The Dems. I we should do the same. So I didn't come into this with this intent, but you're right. What we should do, everybody should know Tracy Stone Manning, right? 
And everybody who's active on social media, I think get active on this tomorrow. It's insane because I'm hearing, I heard, I made a couple of calls after we I read this and I'm hearing that every single Senate Democrat is planning to vote for this woman. Wow. And they are going to confirm her. Even Manchin? With the vice president's vote. So here's the thing. They're good. They're only going to do that if nobody knows about this story. Right. But if people know about this story, there is no way those five or six last Democrats who have any ambition to continue to serve in, in the United States Senate pull the trigger for this psycho. So call your senator, tell them to vote no, vote against Tracy Stone Manning, or, you know, tell Joe Biden to withdraw this nominee. Yeah. We don't need the Ted Kaczynski of the Bureau of Land Management. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And if... if well, you have a couple of phone numbers you want to give people. Yeah. Out? So, so Joe, Man- this is this is for folks to know. Joe Manchin, the number for his office. Oh, nice. In Washington D.C. is 202-224-3954. Again, that's 202-224-3954. You call and you tell Joe Manchin he better not vote yes on an eco terrorist named Tracy Stone Manning for the Bureau of Land Management. And if he does, there's going to be hell to pay. And tell him Smug sent you. Let's um, go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's we're not, go. We're, this is America. We're not going to have a terrorist run an organization. We can't have it. We can't have it. All right. Um, should we play a game? Let's play a game. Let's play a game. Yes. Um, how about we play King of the Hill? Let's do it. Okay. Okay. So, Smug, you have our defending champion, Amanda Carpenter, right? Amanda Carpenter. Yep. 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 Who are you bringing us uh, today? So, I, you know, each of us has our person who we feel like fits well with who we represent. Right. For Smug, it's always been Radio Free Tom. It's a very, like... A natural fit. He feels like he can sell it well. Yeah. I feel like Dowd is my guy. Okay. And I need a win. I lost to Amanda Carpenter. I don't feel good about it. Um, you lost with Jen Rubin. Yeah, but like I said, with Jen Rubin, it's always the bar. It's it's like Jordan rules. It's fair. Uh, where I feel I feel like she has to exceed expectations in order to even compete. Right. So, uh, but I'm fine. I feel like it was decided fairly. So I'm I'm coming back to Dowd, and I'm ready to just annihilate. Okay, let's go ringside. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention, please. Welcome back to King of the Hill. In the blue corner, fighting out of his own Twitter account, a former champion, Matthew Mailpattern Dowd. And now, in the red corner, fighting allegedly from Pierre O'Madire's checkbook, and current champion of the world, the old side switcher, Amanda Carpenter. <laughs> the old side switcher. It's so perfect. I it's like so it. Perfect. Like she really, you know, used to be like, I am the ultimate true conservative. Well, and yeah, but right, right. like every left wing. Not, not just a Republican. She was the Republican who said 
other Republicans were rhinos. Yeah, yeah. She 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 was like, I'm the true conservative, and now just like any Dem, we'll we'll see. I've 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 got. I've it got seems to me it's such a cynical play that I, I, like you said last episode when we did this, that the Lincoln Project is basically employed to, right. You know, it's like, oh, if they're just not, they're not fighting hard enough. But with so amazing about Amanda Carpenter, she basically has run the same play from both sides. Same yeah. play. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Just an incredible. All right. All right. Let's get this. Let's let's go. Okay. So Smug. got to go first. Smug has to go first as our defending champion. All right. Let's see. Which one, which one do I want to play first? Okay. This is, <laughs> this is, this is pretty good. Amanda Carpenter. Uh, this was on Monday at 3.20 p.m. Seems pretty great that enough fentanyl to kill 238 million Americans was stopped at the border. I'm outraged I heard it from you and not the Biden White House, actually. She's quoting uh, Representative Andy Biggs, who pointed out that enough fentanyl to kill 238 million Americans was seized at the southern border. So she's like, yeah, that's great. And a fentanyl was 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 stopped to kill two hundred thirty eight million. Does she think that's like all the fentanyl that's going into this country, and not like that's the amount that was seized? It's incredible. Like what a what a she's take. just dumb. She's like actually, I'm happy that like enough fentanyl to kill two hundred fifty million people is coming to the U S. and was caught. Like imagine how much is getting through. Lady. Oh, so so her point there is is well the the Biden administration should, should be taking a victory lap on this. Yeah, her her like 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 the, they they do such a good job at like the congratulations. border. Congratulations, <laughs> congratulations <laughs> to them. Her her take is yeah, uh, Biden is securing the border. <laughs> I mean, wow, <laughs> wow. Um, I mean, it kind of feels standard fare to me. No, I mean, that's an incredible take that, like, no, actually, a shit ton of drugs at the border is good. It's dumb. No question. But I can do dumber. Okay. I'm going to stay with the dumb genre. I'm just going to stay with the dumb genre. Because, like, Dowd has got a bunch of different stuff. Like, he can go esoteric. He can try to be poet. He can do the Aaron Sorkin thing. And he can also just be, like, a straight partisan which is an amazing thing for a former Republican. Yeah, fighting dumb with dumb, that's awesome. But, like, I think this is very topical, and it's just an amazing dumb statement. As I have said for over two months, over and over, we are at the most perilous, misspelling, one in our democracy since the Civil War. I was so glad to see President Biden reiterate this point in his wonderful speech today. So, so, so wait. I think that's just standard fair. No, 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 no. It's not standard fair because it's amazing. There's an amazing amount of things in here. One is spelling and all that. But but Biden's speech that we're talking about is the one where he said uh, outright that we're at the most perilous moment in the history of our democracy, essentially, right? Equating. Like every every lib though is, is is saying it's either right now is is the worst since the Civil War or or nine eleven like that's just a but here's the nuance point. that makes Matt Dowd Matt Dowd he couldn't just say I agree with Joe Biden that this outrageous thing is true which it's not he took credit for it <laughs> will you read well can you read it again he for said, me as I have said for ah, two months over. And over, Here we go. comma, 
We are in the most perilous one into our democracy since the Civil War. I was so glad to see President Biden reiterate this point. Reiterate. <laughs> The president's reiterating my point. That's the me, <laughs> me. He's singing off my song sheet. That's what you got because there's two things. Yeah, he says over and over. Yeah, at the beginning, and then he says reiterate. I as see. If, as if the president's words are not the iteration. Right. They're the reiteration of something Matt Dowd said. Yeah, he said it before. <laughs> the the president stole from me, Matt Dowd. It's doesn't it sound, doesn't it sound like he's 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 sort of like lobbying for a job? Yeah, it does sound a little bit like that. But 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 also, you know, it, look, you don't lobby for a job by just like being condescending about how much smarter you are. Like that's what's going on here. Like he wants everybody, his all of his followers, to understand this is a point that he has made himself. He is he's authored this point, and he's glad to see the president reiterate it. So as as judge and jury. Um, I mean, Carpenter said it's good enough fentanyl to kill a quarter billion people. Yeah, I, th- I, I think her point there was that is like she's like magnitudes Bi- right. of dumb. Biden should take credit for it, which of course is absurd because the Biden administration has done such a terrible job at our border. Um, honestly, it's disinformation. <laughs> <laughs> I just. What I love about the Dowd take is the preening, self-congratulatory nature of the tweet in which he somehow congratulates himself and then also says Biden's doing a great job. And for that reason, Holmes wins round one. It's just he it's the nuance. It's the it's the uh, take by take. It's an onion. It's an onion. It's an onion. You you peel, you peel back the layers of that tweet. And he's congratulating himself. He's putting out talking points. And then he circles back to congratulate Biden. Yeah, right. <laughs> the president of the United States. It's genius stuff. It's really great. Next level. Uh, so, Holmes, you've got to go first go. here in round two. I got to go. Okay. Um, there have been authoritarian, socialist, and capitalist countries. There have been democratic socialist and capitalist countries. The problem is the authoritarianism, not the economic system. That's why we all must unite and fight against the autocratic GOP. Okay. So wow. so here's the here's the here's the let me just decode. Because he's there's a lot there. Is, is he is he referencing anything in particular? Is he quote tweeting something? Nope. But apropos I, of nothing. But I'll give you the context. It's got to be Cuba, right? Or The context is this ongoing debate about socialism, Marxism, and its appropriateness in the United States governance, right? And what he is saying is that there have been socialist countries and there have been capitalist countries. Their success, basically, has nothing to do with their economic system, but rather whether they're authoritarian or not. Missing the point that, by definition, socialism is authoritarian. Right. <laughs> right. Like by you could definition. have some sort of you could have some sort of noble dictator in a socialist utopia, which has never existed on planet Earth. Never, never. So this he, guy was a Republican. Yeah, I know, I know. But he's also just blowing through like known facts. Right. Right. Like 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 hundreds of years of of known history. Known history about governance. 
the way it works, what's failed, what's succeeded. And he's just sort of like saying, no, it's all by the part. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. <laughs> I, 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 I think I can win up. You this. can beat it? Yeah. Let's so, hear I it. I mean, you guys are talking about how this guy was once a Republican. Like we said, Amanda Carpenter at one time was like, I am the true con. I will tell you what conservatism means. So this is a tweet, 8 o'clock on Monday morning. She quotes a New York Times article and says, Amy Klobuchar seeks to transform the Senate Rules Committee into a major force on voting rights. Number one, she is now pushing Dems. She, she, and she's supporting a federal takeover of elections. A major force. The ultimate true conservative move, right? Being like, listen, guys, I'm, I'm never Trump because I'm so, so conservative that uh, I actually support Amy Klobuchar and the Dems wanting to federalize all elections. It's incredible. I do think the context, we covered this in her victory last week, is that she's now, did we confirm that she's on the dole for this Amadire group? I have no idea. That was allegedly. We we, 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 we don't know. But we haven't gotten a cease and desist yet. Yeah. (laughs) So (laughs) who knows? Because I think her flip on voting rights has a lot to do with who, because she's really going hard on it. Yeah. Seems like she's oh, being oh. paid by somebody. Uh, As all those guys are, right? All those CNN contributors, they're all being paid, like the Bill Crystals and whatever. They ran the Republicans for rule of law or some stupid shit like that, and then and then they morphed it into Republicans for voting rights. Yeah. I'd be really surprised if this lady's not working for him. Okay. <clears throat> Holmes, can you read yours again? I sure can. I sure can. There have been authoritarian socialists and capitalist countries. There have been democratic socialists and capitalist countries. The problem is not authoritarian. The problem is in authoritarianism, not the economic system. That is why we must all unite and fight against the autocratic GOP. Okay. Embrace socialism. It's not authoritarian. That's the cliff notes. It's pretty tough. It's pretty tough, dude. Republican. This is a Republican 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 strategist. (sighs) Pretty tough. Gosh. Um, so yeah, I mean Amanda Carpenter is a complete turncoat and her um support of what Klobuchar's doing on HR one and all this bullshit is it is offensive. And I mean, you know, this is a woman who worked for Jim DeBent. Like she was the conservative conservative, the litmus test conservative who said everybody was a sellout. Right. Everyone was a sellout. Wasn't conservative enough for her. And now she's supporting Amy Klobuchar in a federalization of our elections. It's offensive. I, I mean, it is insane. It's insane. But I mean, is it crazy? But, but Matthew Dowd is is endorsing socialism. This is a guy who worked for George W. Bush and disconnecting it from authoritarianism. I mean, I mean, complete lunatic. Just rewriting history for an economic system that's murdered millions of people. See, this was sneaky. My sneaky favorite take he's had of the week. And for that reason, that's it. I get it. So walk off. Got it. Dowd wins. I. I, I Listen, I like that. 
Ooh, look at that. God bless it. That's fantastic. That's that's, that's, that's the soundboard. Listen, da- can I read you Dowd's final take that I had loaded up? Yeah, let's let's hear the third ones. My final take. Uh, D.C. Democrats applaud Texas Democrats for their extraordinary commitment to democracy for doing whatever it takes to fight for voter rights. So why are they not doing why are they have this showing the same commitment in D.C.? God, the soundboard, the soundboard man the soundboard oh, it's just giving it i love it that's great that's so he's so great. he's actually applied a little i i say that one for last because i know that her specialty is the sellout so i was gonna meet him on the sellout oh okay yeah. it was a win man dad got that one yeah he's a tough he's a tough customer he's a tough customer i will say uh I'm glad that this worked out. I think Dowd had a very strong week, and I'm happy about the win. Uh, I'm also very respectful of the judge and the jury for their integrity and how they handled this whole thing because I walked in in a prep meeting here today, and there was an effort afoot. There was an effort afoot. hold, Hold on. What sort of effort? There was an effort afoot by Smug and others attempting to... Persuade the judge and jury. I mean, me and Ashbrook were discussing an Amanda Carpenter tweet, and Duncan happened to be here. I, I overheard. A, I I don't believe the judge and jury was tampered. Well, I did hear. I, mean, I did show up. I heard. I heard a discussion of a tweet, and it irked me. Yeah, to my core, I felt that, and I felt like I had to discuss it. Now that tweet didn't come up in competition. Exactly. And yet, Holmes still calls into question the impartiality. No, of no, the I'm doing the opposite. I'm Incredible. doing the opposite. I th- okay. in, in, Vic, in victory, he still finds grievance. No, a man that? of the robe, I, I am. I believe was prepared to dispense with any sort of action, which is why I assume Smug didn't play that card because it was a great tweet. I mean, I, I'm assuming I that's never why. questioned the integrity of the judge and jury. This is an affront to our system. <laughs> Oh. I'm just happy we didn't have to cross that road because if it would have surfaced, all hell would have broken loose. I appreciate I appreciate you greatly, sir. Okay, let's get to our interview. Really, really good guest. Very informative. Hadn't met her before. Very inspiring. Congresswoman Maria Elvira Salazar. I want to welcome to the program Congresswoman Marie Elvira Salazar. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Yes, you pronounced it pretty well because, you know, Elvira, mistress of the night. You know, most people don't know. You know. <laughs> That's right. It gives you a little mysterious nature about you. That's, that's Indeed. You see, well, I don't have the same talents that she used to have, Elvira. But, uh, you know, at least I, I can say that I'm holding my own. <laughs> you are a very talented woman, and we'll get into all of that uh, shortly. You're now representing Florida's 27th district, correct? Correct. The heart of the city of Miami, Coral Gables, uh, Miami Beach. I have a pretty interesting um, district. You do. Very lively. It's the ultimate melting pot. It is. And it's city absolutely, of Miami. absolutely beautiful. Uh, so, but I want to I start off because you have a, a very interesting perspective on what's happening in Cuba. And by way yeah. of background, you're the daughter of Cuban exiles. You grew up in, in Little Havana, uh, yep. neighborhood of, of Miami. 
you've actually interviewed Fidel Castro, which I want to get to that too. But but first, right. let's just um, let's just start with what's happening. What are your what's your take on what's happening in Cuba? Well, our take is that after 62 years of a highly brutal repression, the Cuban people said no more. You know, the Cubans have lost everything. They have lost their liberty, their family. They lost their right to speak or their freedom of speech. They lost the possibility of being religious because they took that away from them as well. Uh, they took um, health, education, because now the Cubans are just barely surviving. But now they lost fear, which is very interesting. And that's why they're out on the street of shouting libertad, liberty. They're not saying down with the embargo. They're not saying we need more vaccines. They're not saying we need medicine. They're not saying we need food. They're saying libertad, which is liberty, freedom. And uh, we have to help them because this country, and that's what I've been saying in every single interview, and I'm talking to an audience of one, President Biden, this country and the Democratic Party, the one he belongs to, has a historical debt and now a duty with the Cubans to liberate them. Bay of Pigs was was a very dark uh, chapter in the Democratic Party book. Now Biden can erase it and make it glorious. So that's why we're saying respectfully, we need to go talk to him. We meaning the whole congressional delegation, Marco Rubio, Bob Menendez, Albio Sierras, Carlos Jimenez, Mario Diaz-Balart, and yours truly, for all Cuban Americans, we know very well what that means. And we need for him to pay attention to us. And that's where we are. Well, he certainly should be paying attention to you. And, and I know I've, I've watched a couple of your interviews lately. You're very passionate about this, obviously, with your, your background and in terms of, of who you're representing. If you get that audience of one to listen, what are you going to tell them? Oh, I would say uh, President Biden, I saw him a month ago because I have a, an immigration reform law that I wanted him to know about called Dignity. And we will talk about that later because I do want to help my brothers and sisters, the Browns in this country, I, me being one of them. Uh, and I would say, you told me that you were Irish Catholic. So I'm appealing to you to that same God that you believe in and that I pray to and kneel down in front of. Please help the Cuban people. Just turn on the internet. We need Wi-Fi. After that, Uh, The rest is history. The Cubans will write their own destiny, but they need people to be watching them so they can be emboldened and know that they are not alone, that the United States, that the Cuban Americans are watching them and supporting them. And then you know what's going to happen? You're going to have millions and millions of Cubans on the street. And that's the end because I don't think any regime will be able to stand or, or, or support or be able to, to, to be able to stay standing in front of such an onslaught of millions of people on the streets. That's why we need Wi-Fi. Yeah, what, that's, that's a great point. What do you think, if, if you've followed this very closely over the years, but what do you think yeah. the significance of now is? Why, why is it that now, as you said, uh, people in Cuba have just lost their fear and, and now is the time for significant change? Because now, after the Trump administration did what he needed to do, which was to cut off the oxygen 
the dollars. We could not, we cannot be negotiating with the military apparatus, the repressive apparatus. We need to be negotiating with the Cubans. So the law now under Trump said that we cannot be dealing or doing business or engaging any type of trade or transaction with a government owned regime owned companies and the over you know the majority of the companies are owned by the military because those are the ones who are in power you can do business with your cousin if you want your cousin to open up a hardware store you can send him the money and then but then the government the regime will not allow your cousin to open that hardware store or if you want to open a and you're in cuba you want to open a beauty parlor or a, a cafeteria you can't because the regime is, doesn't allow it. Why? Because the regime is in the business of power. Mm-hmm. They're not in the business of letting people flourish and have them eat three times a day and pursuit their own happiness. No, they are in the business of them keeping power and, and having your, your, foot on the, your, your foot on the neck, on the, on the Cuban people's neck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no question. Certainly urgency, uh, no question about it. We Absolutely, urgency, yes. It's back. now. Exactly. Um, I want to get to your, your personal story a little bit. because. And you let me just give you the urgency why, and then uh, obviously we'll, we'll do the personal. Oh, sure. Right now we have 500 dissidents who are in jail, 500. This is the empirical evidence. This is what's happening right now. 500 dissidents have been arrested, number one. Number two, one of them is one of the most uh, well-known dissidents on the island. He is the guy, he's Afro-Cuban, and he started this movement with this song. He, He composed a song called Homeland and Life, meaning country and life, not death. And that spread like a wildfire. Mm. And that's what spearheaded this movement. That guy started this movement called San Isidro, Saint Isidro. He is in jail. He is in a torture camp called Villa Marista. Why would a, a, a songwriter needs to be in jail for writing a song? Yeah. Well, that's what's happening in Cuba. And then they know that the internet has been cut off because the, the provider of Wi-Fi is the Chinese surveillance equipment in the hands of the Cuban regime. Mm. Mm. So that's the urgency. Guantanamo, we can install a tower in Guantanamo. We don't need video quality like Netflix. We only need images. And you know, when you see those images, the world will respond. Oh, no question about it. And there's been few that have made it out lately, as you said, after they've cut off the internet. Uh, very, very few visuals. But Correct. We have said have been incredibly powerful. God knows what they're doing to these poor people. The reports we get, they're being tortured. They're being jailed. Their heads are being cracked open. This can't be happening 90 miles away from where we are. Listen, Miami is closer to Havana than Miami is to Orlando. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we Miamians, we go see Mickey Mouse pretty often. We drive three hours up and three hours down. Havana is closer. Yeah, yeah, it's wild in terms of proximity. But, boy, for as you said, 60 years, it has felt like a uh, other side of the world. Correct. 
So let's get into your personal story because you have taken uh, what I would characterize as a extremely rare uh, jump from the world of journalism to Republican politics. Yes. <laughs> Particularly yes. in this day and age, but your background is as a journalist and a very accomplished one at that. Yes. Uh, you, you have won all kinds of awards. And it, in the mid-90s, you even interviewed Fidel Castro. Yeah. yeah. I was the only one who was able to stand in front of him for three hours and just ask him questions. And uh, when I say the only one, I mean the only one that belongs to the Cuban exile community, the enemy. Because one thing is for Diane Sawyer and for Barbara Walters or for anyone else in uh, mainstream media in the United States to be interviewing Fidel. And another thing is for a Cuban girl from the hood in Miami, first generation American, knowing the story very well and knowing what he did to my parents and to my whole family and to my whole neighborhood and everyone that I knew he had tortured or separated from their families or taking something away from them. I was able to be in front of him. And you know what, what I can tell you, he's Satan. You feel the energy, you feel the aura, which in whichever way you want to describe it, aura, energy, chemistry, vibes, it doesn't matter. It's all the same. He is Satan. And the longer you are in front of him, the more you feel it because that energy oppresses you. That had to have been Squishes real. you. Yes. Surreal. Yes, dark. It's very dark. Yes. I mean, you sit down and you're staring at this guy knowing what you know. I mean, I, I, it's got to be tough to compose, compose yourself at that point. Absolutely. I was a journalist. And that's why you say I, I won a lot of awards because I knew how to do my job well and I needed to do that because I was there not as a Cuban-American um, exiled daughter of exiled Cuban refugees, but I was there as a journalist. I was working for Univision at the time. And, and I, and, but besides the feeling, what I can say to you is it doesn't matter what, Fidel, what you ask him, he will always lie. Mm-hmm. He will always lie because he knows he is the power and no one is going to hold him accountable. And he doesn't have a free press that will say our president lied to the American uh, news organizations. You know, so it's, it's a waste of time because mm. he did it very well. You know, Cuba and this, he will pass down history as the, the one who rewrote the books on how to maintain power. He was able to take the, the, the um, repressive apparatus to scientific levels. He went to the Stasi in East Germany. He went to the KDV in uh, Russia. And he said, okay, guys, explain to me. Let's, let's combine these two very, very powerful repressive forces um, or, or intelligent officers forces and let's combine them into one and I'm going to make it even better than both of you. And that's why, uh, and you can ask the CIA operators that, that among the intelligent um, apparatus of, or agencies in the world, you have the CIA, you have the Mossad, obviously the Israelis, and then you have the Cubans. <laughs> you have the Cubans. Come on, what a waste of resources. <laughs> it should be making shoes or tables or microchips or whatever to export and, and give a, a good living to their people. But now they are in the business of power. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's incredible. Let's, um, let's get into the journalism thing a little bit more because as you said, uh, there's a professionalism and equality to the work that you 
did throughout your your journalistic career that I think many of us believe is just absolutely missing from from political reporting in particular, but I think you can extrapolate out entirely. What is your sense about the profession of journalism and where it's gone and where it currently is today? The American School of Journalism is dead, Mm. unfortunately. We don't have, or maybe there are a couple of examples, we don't have those journalists that regardless of what they're thinking, they put their feelings and their thoughts aside and cover the story the way it needs to be. A Walter Cronkite, a Peter Jennings, uh, people that at least tried to be impartial and to be in the middle. That's, that doesn't exist any longer. And I am extremely concerned. And when you asked me, I'm sure that you were going to ask me, why did you, uh, did you run? Because I am terrified of something called democratic socialism, Mm -hmm. which is the same thing that we saw in Cuba, because that's what Chavez and Fidel promised their people. Democratic socialism doesn't exist. Socialism is socialism. I'm not saying that maybe our system, which is glorious, is perfect. It's not. We do not have a perfect union, but we can better it within the norms that we have created. We have created the founding fathers. God bless them. They created this wonderful American exceptionality, this foundation where we have all stood on. Immigrants, look at me. I am a brown girl from the hood who got here 60 years ago. I was born here, things that my parents decided to leave early enough. I'm first-generation American. And look where I am. I am. I am representing my community in the heart of the power of the heart of power in the world, the United States Congress. Yeah. Where else could you do that in one generation? And before that, I have a fantastic career. I made a lot of money. I made a lot of contact. I had a fantastic life. Why? Because the American platform allowed me to do it. So that's the platform. That's the system that I'm trying to defend for my children and my grandchildren because I had it. So that's what that motivated me to go into politics and with no qualms say to my colleagues on the other side of the aisle, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, I'm sure they mean well, but they just do not know what they're meaning. It's very evil because socialism, it's socialism. And we don't, you, and and then academia and the media has been penetrated by people that I'm sure have great intentions, but the good intentions uh, sometimes take you nowhere. Oh, no, no question about it. Listen, if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. You want a little inspiration for this country, you go visit our our South Floridian friends and in uh, Cuban American. Uh, down population down there. Indeed, there is nobody that no. uh, talks about America in terms of the the core of what it actually is, like you all. And I just I, I thank you for what you're doing. Keep us updated. I got three big questions I got to get to before. We and get- let me just tell you one more thing. You know what the problem with democratic socialism is that they are making the government God. That's right. And there are no gods. God is up in heaven. So when you give your money to people bureaucrats, decision makers, 
those people will not make the decisions that you will have made with your own money. I'm not saying that we have to help everyone that is in need. Absolutely. I'm not saying that we need to help the African-Americans that have had, have had less good schools, maybe less good training. Absolutely. Let's help them help themselves. It's not a handout. It's a hand up. Let's right. give them dignity. We need to give the African-Americans and the Hispanic Americans and anyone who is on the, on the government payroll saying you can make it on your own so you can feel dignified. You can feel proud that you can bring money to the table and money to your children and to the family. So, so it's good intentions, but not very well executed. And, and that is what socialism is going to bring big government big government means more bureaucrats more bureaucrats means more, taking more of your money and becoming god and that's what happened with fidel we gave them everything our liberties our freedoms our our social system and look what happened it's not in the hands of men it's in the hands of god and god is not around to be running the government so let's just keep our money well said. Very well said, Congresswoman. Let me, let me get to the three big questions because you're going to have some interesting answers here. Uh, the first mm -hmm. one is if you can plan this out, if you, if you knew that it was your last day on earth and you could pick one meal, what would it be? A hamburger, french fries, and a Coke. Just as American as it gets, huh? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I don't need anything else but that. From Johnny Rockets. From Johnny Rockets. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love it. All right. So question number two. If you weren't doing this, if you, you know, I realize you're relatively new in politics, uh, yeah. but let's take the whole sort of civic, civil discourse that also with your journalism career. Let's say you never did any of that. What would you be doing with your life? That I never did any journalism either or any politics. Yeah, let's so what go would I be outside. doing? Let's go way outside. Oh, I, would, I would be either in Central America or in Cuba teaching English or helping those kids or teaching them self-esteem, something that is valuable to them in the future. Mm. I'll be helping someone. Teacher. Somewhere. Right. Yeah, teacher in sure. Central America or in Cuba. Interesting. Okay. All right. So third question, and this one we kind of cut to the middle of, uh, of who you are, Congresswoman. What motivates you more, the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat? I know the thrill of victory. Absolutely. Yeah, that felt you pretty like good a, you see, in November. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. You had a big one. Yeah, I did. I, I probably people say that it was one of the biggest upsets in the country because no one gave a penny. For me, everyone thought that it was impossible for me to beat Donna Shalala. That's she right. Was the, she was the longest serving member of the Clinton cabinet. She was the president of the Clinton Foundation. And she was very good friends with Nancy Pelosi and Hillary Clinton and with Bill. And just as establishment as it gets. She was also wasn't she president of the University of Miami and all kinds of different things. Correct. And I'm yeah. just a brown girl from the hood who had a television show. Well, it's amazing. Absolutely incredible victory. You know, that you, is, that is America. That's, that is, that, America. that is, America. you got it. Absolutely. Listen, in a nutshell. You, thank you for your time. This, this is just a My pleasure. Purple, uplifting <laughs> conversation. Stay in touch. <laughs> is, yes. I'm here to serve. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Anytime. Call me back. Okay. Well, clearly very passionate uh, about the issue of Cuba. I thought some really important messages there some things i didn't know uh which i thought were really good but i also really liked her takes on journalism yes i was about to say loved it yeah kind of my favorite 
Absolutely. I mean, here's a here's a lady that stood eyeball to eyeball with Fidel Castro after he had persecuted her own family and they had fled Cuba to go to the United States. And she sat with him as a journalist and didn't let her personal emotions get in the way, tried to glean information. And that, look, how many people do you know that are going to do that in the journalism community today? Yeah, that's tough. So anyway, I thought it was good. I love it. I love it. Glad glad she's in Congress now. Absolute queen. Yep. And I mean, another good interview and another good episode. And we have, remember folks, this is a triple header. You're getting three episodes this week. We're going to have another banger of an episode tomorrow. So remember, until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Thursday. Stay ruthless.